Hey everyone, welcome to the very first episode of our podcast, Human All Too Human, inspired by the intersection of philosophy and life. This is actually an audio remastering of our original to fix some continuity issues. Anyways, in this episode, we are going to discuss the human condition, or essentially what is at the crux of the issue, our conflict between an inherently different universe and our desire for meaning. Today, we will have a conversation with those who look towards spirituality and religion for their answer. And our first guest is YouTuber Brett Binder, or YouTube Chiropractor. All right, cool. Uh, Brent Binder, and I guess the relative details uh, for this discussion are uh, born, born into a Catholic family, always had an existential lust for the esoteric and, uh, and, and continued on through philosophy and most major world religions till I eventually settled on at this current time period, uh, universal Sufism or just Sufism. And, uh, and that's where I'll be speaking from through whichever questions arise or whichever, uh, whatever topics we're hitting. Yeah, my name is David. I was born into a Christian family. I guess I considered myself a Christian for most of my life, but I didn't start to take my faith more seriously until um, I got into college. And that's also where I started wrestling more with, um, I guess, the deeper questions about meaning and purpose in life. Yeah, um, I guess I'm also at the age where it's relevant, where I recently graduated from, like, <laughs> I guess the majority of this call. I recently graduated from UCLA, um, so I'm working now in LA, and my spiritual background is, I also grew up going to church as well um, in southeastern Pennsylvania. It was a non-denominational one, and so obviously when you grow up going to church, you don't really choose to go because, you know, you don't disobey your parents in that way at that age um but i think i would say the the common phrasing being i made my faith my own probably around seventh eighth grade where i started to think about like why am i going to church on sunday and just doing all these random things um and then i would say college has also been a huge growing um season in my life since then and of course these kinds of topics really interest me in, in that i think christians uh, by definition, are interested or, you know, have to do with a lot of spiritual and or like metaphysical things. And so, yeah, Chris and I have talked about various things over the years. I think only recently has it become a little more um, mature, <laughs> so to speak. But yeah, that's a little bit about me. Thank you, John, and thank you, Dr. Binder and David, for giving those splendid introductions. And yes, I'm very excited for this conversation, just to dive right into the crux of it, living with the human condition, because we're born into a world with no seemingly apparent meaning innate within us, which really goes to show that either it is created, provided, or maybe it doesn't exist at all, right? And so, obviously, religion or spirituality provides that background for you three. And I, I'd like to, you know, honestly hear more about it, if possible. Well, it, it became very apparent that religion was not the answer for me, but it just seemed to be like being the youngest in the family and just kind of going along with it. It felt like everyone around me was Catholic. So it was just not a choice at that age. And I guess choice becomes um, one of the other moderators said it, the, the, uh, the third gentleman who spoke a very beautiful phrase of I made my faith my own. And that kind of, that that seems to be the the spark that exists in some people, but not everybody, to continue to seek and continue to uh, look at answers or look for answers. And and while the uh, the um, the main the main topics that you have uh, uh, the main philosophies, if we're looking at Nietzsche, if we're looking at existentialism, absurdism, nihilism, all addressing this: how do you live with the human condition? Um, seems to exist in some people in an immature way right from the very beginning. And uh, I, personally, my experience was I thought it was cool that priests were ringing bells and lighting candles and passing out snacks in the middle of this ceremony that involved singing and everyone moving in procession to line up and take a drink from a cup. Like the whole thing was wild to me and fascinating. And um and so obviously some people fall right into their religion and they go, this is how I deal with the human condition. I'm just going to do this with everyone else. And, and we take it as blind faith. And then uh, it's the, there seems to be um, a spark within some people that say, what else is there besides this religion that I was born into? And then this amazing amount of or this amazing time period of life occurs where you're um, balancing philosophy and religion, perhaps where philosophy is this uprooting of ideas and personal values 
And then you have this, um, this foundational worldwide accepted concept of religion where everyone shows up and does the same thing. And so you kind of bounce them back and forth for a little while, like Jung says, it, it's, it's to create a third path. If you can hold two paths in your, in your vision for long enough and concentrate on them for long enough, if you have a decision to make, whatever it is, if you have two ideas, in this case, it would be philosophy and debating and thinking using logic, rational, use your rational mind using words um, versus this idea of ceremony, which is people singing and dancing or eating things or whatever it is. And uh, if you can hold those two things, eventually they just collapse into one. And then, uh, and then, like our friend said, you make your faith your own. And perhaps some people settle in another religion or they go back to um, their original religion or they find that a philosophical group. Um, but, the, but the true answer to your question, how do we deal with the existence? It's probably different for everybody, right? I mean, like I like to sing and dance, but that doesn't mean that's right for anybody else. Dr. Bender, thank you for sharing. And I, you know, before we let David and John chime in, I completely agree because, as you mentioned, some people take a very immature approach to it. And while I don't think that swearing off a faith-based, religious-based, or spiritual-based answer to our existential questions, right, is, is wrong, there are a lot of implications and consequences that arise that many people don't reconcile with when they do swear off these higher powers, these religions, or these faith-based uh, answers, because, frankly, doing so brings up a lot of incompatibilities and um, you know complications with our existence because it's something that we fundamentally have predicated values on for you know all of human existence most of human existence right and to to bring the topic to a quote before we let uh, john and david chime in right now we're looking at of the famous quote god is dead by nietzsche and i'm not going to read this out loud but you know, to all the viewers out there and all the listeners out there it famously starts, God is dead, and it's almost a lament from Nietzsche, like a lamentation, right? And he wasn't uh, religious, and he actually was sort of against religion at times, right, to, to put it simply. But he realized that for modern-day science and modern-day rationalism to come and wipe out the values that uh, religion has created, almost has created this, uh, the, lar the greatest exp uh, existential crisis known to man, nihilism, or the lack of values, because... Without being given values, humans have to create them. And with no foundation to base it on, with religion gone, there is obviously um, you know, a whole plethora of questions that arise everywhere from ethical questions like, is stealing right or wrong? Is murder right or wrong? To existential questions like, what am I doing here? And why am I here? It's, a, it's my, one of my favorite quotes, and I think it's very telling about the whole situation that you just mentioned, Dr. Rinder. But please, uh, John and David, please jump in. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I've, I've read this quote before in, in a similar context and saying, as Nietzsche, as far as I understand, as he says this, it's he, yeah, as you said, is lamenting the fact that suddenly when people become um, or choose to be like hyper-rational, where they believe that the world is rational and that's all there is, that's the only dimension to it, then you come upon this problem where uh, there seems to be no more reason or meaning, um, which for most of human history, you know, people ascribe that to God or people ascribe that to a power that's higher than themselves that's imbued meaning into humanity. And I think that is, yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat where I think if, if we're too, or if we're so foolish to dismiss the idea of God, however you want to label that like a higher power or something else, uh, then you come upon this thing where it's basically saying that, okay, we are like humanity is all that there is and the fact that we're even conscious to like discuss it is all that there is and that's like a huge problem um because that does not match up with our i think experience and the almost um like soul deep feeling that we have that there is meaning and so you know i was <laughs> chris was telling me a lot about absurdism not too long ago and so i decided to go onto wikipedia our nice reliable friend and kind of look into that and they start off saying that yeah absurdism is the the dilemma or the uh, tension that you get where humans are always looking for meaning and the universe seems to not offer any and i thought that was interesting because that's assuming that's coming from the assumption that the universe is like this impersonal force or that there is no greater power right the universe is just a physical place and that god is dead 
dead. Like God is no longer in that picture. Um, personally, I think most people cannot live by that belief. Like you don't practically live in a world where you believe God is, or there is nothing more that there is no meaning to your morality or to your standards or to your life. Right. Like, I think we'll probably touch on this further, but if that was true, there is no difference in what you do in your lifetime before you die. So I think I'm not an <laughs> expert by any means in philosophy, but that often leads down people down the road of thinking like, yeah, why not just kill yourself? Because it's all the same in the end. But for me, I think, yeah, if we take that assumption that God is dead, that is a logical route to go down and, it, and it's logically coherent, right? It makes sense as long as you assume that God is quote, quote, dead. But I think as, as a Christian, right, like I would back up a bit and say, okay, but let's talk about that first assumption. Like, is, you know, there a higher power? Is the universe really just all there is in an impersonal force? John, I think with what you've just said, you've elucidated and you know, perfectly summarized the exact contention and difficulty we have in modern day life with the idea of this human condition. As you said, the logical conclusion that people can make if we assume that the world is meaningless or even indifferent is almost a self-destruction, right? Suicide. And you, you, you touched on this a little bit, and I want to expound upon this further absurdism. Uh, in, in, in his essay that sort of talked about the main premise of absurdism, he actually starts the book. There's only one philosophical dilemma to, to worthy of talking about, and, that, and that's suicide, right? And because of all the things we just mentioned. And absurdism is almost a form of rebellion, it is a form of rebellion, right? That if the only logical conclusion in the face of a meaningless world is suicide, then our only surety is to rebel against it, right? He almost views the idea of the world, this indifferent world, as both gentle, right? A gentle indifference, but also something to fight against because death is the structure of our life. We are born presumably have no understanding of our meaning, but we ultimately know that we're going to die. And it's sort of this fight against death. This is the rebellion in, in a life so full of uncertainties. This absurd tension is our absurdity. And now it's, it's hard to channel that into a very practical solution, I would say, is the, is the issue. Continuing to live with this tension, it's all, you know, it's all, it's all well and nice, but what are we to do, right? What are we mere mortals to do? And I think you did touch on this at one point. You said most people cannot live with the understanding that nothing they do matters. And I think that's, this has been a topic that's come up time and time again in religion. For instance, some, you know, some actually shrink away from the idea that just because a majority can or cannot do something that that makes it right and if there are, there are some who would say if a majority of people cannot deal with it then that's you know then that's then that's then that's life essentially they're not you know either strong enough or they, they, they can't cope with it and I think it's an interesting take I think when we, when we ultimately arrive at the conclusion should we kill ourselves or should we kill others that there are hundreds of different routes that, you know, mental routes that one can take. And, you know, religion happens to be one of them. And I think absurdism is, uh, you know, a very interesting take on another because it's, at, at its core, it's actually a more restrained version of existentialism and its radical freedom. But, um, but yeah, overall, I, I, I uh, really appreciate your insights, John. And before we move even further, Dr. Binder, I think you mentioned that Sufism is the sort of spirituality that you've practiced or you, or you follow. Would, would you mind explaining more about that? <clears throat> Sufism is mysticism, uh, which uh, is just another word, another ism. But uh, there's a Christian mysticism and a, uh, there's a, um, a Muslim mysticism. There's a Jewish mysticism. Uh, and it's, it's part of a, it, it could be part of many world religions that is like this um, it's probably like the weird people in the church or in the temple in the mosque who were just absolutely struck by um, the profound beauty in the world and the synchron and the patterns of nature. And, and it's, it's almost like, I would have to say that a Sufi is someone who seeks that constant meaning, but also finds it any everywhere. So the, everyone is your murshid or your teacher. 
Um, you know, the pages of the Bible are like leaves of a tree. It's really a, um, a, it's, it's almost like the exact opposite of absurdism as, as the more I read about absurdism, just looking into that concept for this, I, it was apparent how, um, uh, how much of a contrast it was to, uh, what it feels like in, in my, in my neurological net of ideas and experiences and everything that has ever come through, um, my filters, I look out and as a biology major and as a scientist primarily would constantly see patterns. And to me that proved meaning inherently in life. It's see, and I, I don't want to say proof because you can't prove it, but to me, that was the resemblance of something that was beautiful and something that was intelligent and something that was both compassionate and vicious and something that was um, eternal yet instant. And it, 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 in a mystical sense, it holds all of the paradoxes of life. And so in a way, absurdity is a paradox. And, and in a way, because Sufism is so inclusive, you could still subscribe to absurdity theory, not believe in God, and yet still be a Sufi, um, just because you're in that realm of trying to seek and trying to understand. And it's, it's that impulse, like you're trying to feed a hunger in your belly or a procreational impulse in your genitals. It's the same impulse within some part of our neurological landscape or probably uh, our electromagnetic man's, uh, landscape that involves the, the, um, the waves coming from the heart, the waves coming from the brain. But biologically, it seems like there's enough people talking about this, that it's a part of the human condition. And therefore, we're talking about it, obviously. And so that's Sufism. It's the paradox. It's, it's almost exactly opposite of absurdism, but yet still includes it um, in, a, in an absolute absurd way. I think that's a very interesting point, Dr. Binder, and especially especially your last topic about how you could technically be an absurdist and a Sufi. And I think some of that shines through in the diaries and the work of Camus and his peers. One of his first novels, The Stranger, the book is written in a manner where you know nothing about how the narrator feels except for how he reacts to the physical, natural world around him, be it uh, his woman or nature or, or ultimately the sun. And in his diaries, you can see him be deeply ruminative about this very question that we're talking about, about why we should live. And always, almost always, he comes to the conclusion that, you know, breathing in the fresh air him being in Algeria, uh, his, his homeland, he loved the rugged, you know, ascetic beauty to it, where it's both, it's it's almost like a, a dangerous and dangerous and harsh beauty, where he believed the air, the sun, the sea, those all were life to him, and, and those were good enough reasons to live. And it, it, it may not be that he necessarily saw these patterns that you talked about, but Ultimately, I would agree that he loved life for what it represented to him in terms of this natural, this very like literally natural portion of it, where he would able, where he was able to, you know, feel most connected to to his life. And yeah, and other than that, Doctor Binder, in terms of this, you know, the search for meaning, does that is is that inclusive of a higher power for you? Um, well, just specifically, do I believe in a higher power? The, yes, I do. Yeah, to me, it's amazingly geometric, and um, and uh, and it's like the it's like not it's eternal, but not like duration of time. More like outside of time. So it, like it's a dimensional thing, like a hyperdimensional thing, um, where it's like it, it's it fringe sounds like where it's um where it's almost right there like you can grasp it at any time but then when you pay attention to it too long it, it disappears and and then you call it a mystery and then it becomes so obvious that you know what it's like it was right in front of you with um, a lesson or a teacher your life experience will, will show up and at your door and it's, it's right there or it's or it's the like in the, the one thing i loved about absurdity it really rang true was the um what was it it was like the the 
the universe is silence in response. Yes, indifferent. And, yeah. uh, I thought I think that's so poetically beautiful. And of course, um, you know, the you know, like Nietzsche and um, uh, Kierkegaard, these guys are, you know, they were all madmen. They were like raving <laughs> lunatics, just writing books by candlelight in the, you know, in a, in a very different time. And that's why this their ideas have been so influential and important for us to, to just stand on their shoulders and think about. Uh, in terms of what they've um, and what they were able to accomplish. And uh, so, yeah, so that, that's the lens for me. I mean, it was shaped very much by uh, heavy use and experimentation of psychedelics. Um, it was shaped by uh, heavy use of um, uh, reading uh, sacred texts from many different religions and, uh, and going through the philosophies as if as a timeline or like a yearbook and Oh, here's what here's what uh, Jung was saying about it, and you know, and listening to even Jordan Peterson, uh, a contemporary, uh, reflecting all of these ideas into modern society. We're in this amazing time period where we can all discuss about it, you know, from all different parts of the country right now on a podcast, which is amazing that you're bringing that into this as as part of the pandemic and people really having the time now to look at this especially if you're an extrovert and you process information on the outside. <laughs> um, introverts have been doing this since, you know, they, they, they just have always been doing this and uh, will always do this. So uh, I, I think that answers the question. Yeah. As you, as you talk about the podcast and the fact that we can do it all uh, across the nation, I'm, I'm a heavy introvert or extrovert, and I really wish we could have this conversation in person. But I was just really curious. You mentioned in talking about Sufism that you see beauty um, and almost like a geometry or in all of things of the, this physical universe and even non-physical things. So yes. for you or for Sufism, is that beauty, do you ascribe that to a, a thing outside of that created or, you know, physical thing? Do you ascribe that to a creator or is it the, how do you explain that? Or is that just how it is, right? That's just how it is is that it's did, did something create it or is that just how it is right is that the question yeah yeah like how or how do you look at that yeah okay so um it, it almost kind of relates into the extrovert introvert idea where how you process information and how we share it um when you look at the spectrum of a narcissist and an empath and uh empaths uh if you're able to bring your mind to this concept, I just would invite you to consider the possibility that empaths can feel things other than themselves. And uh, so there's a sense of um, unity that can be accomplished when you know, so like morals and ethics become obvious. It be, it's like, there's not even a question. There's no need to write any rules on the wall. We just love each other and treat each other with kindness. And so what I hear in the question of, do I believe that there's a creator is the beauty of creator or is that just the way that it is? I also hear in that question, well, what about the things that are not beautiful? And so um, do, are they created as well? Or is, or is tragedy just something that is also apparent because you look around and there's a balance, there's night and day. And, um, and so the easy answer to the question, although it's, it's not easy it's it's i can say yes i do attribute the beauty and also the tragedy to a creator however i cannot um consciously uh, i there's no conception of that in my mind i don't believe that i could ever reach any kind of consciousness that allows me to really really know or really prove or really identify or all the things that we use i think that are illusions concepts of ourselves concepts concepts of time that um are only real because we think that they're real for example and and uh and so that's the difference between a, a philosophy and a religion in all religions the common background uh, uh backbone is a belief you at some point have to take a leap in order to be religious you have to take a leap i'm not saying that any of you have to do this or i'm not saying that anyone has to do this but my understanding was is that to move from philosophical or scientific mindsets into a religious mindset it really just takes a belief and you don't need any book or you don't need any religion to do that religion is just the tool that humans use 
um, to get to that point of uh, dealing with the human condition. I guess I do want to say, like, on the topic of, like, that leap of faith, I do think, yes, um, absolutely, there is definitely a leap of faith that has to be made. Because at the end of the day, like, there is no one thing, there is no one argument or nothing I can say or do or anyone can say or do to completely 100% like convince with you know guaranteed fact and truth that what we believe in is true and it's fact um you do have to have a certain level of faith in, I guess like what I believe in uh when it comes to like beauty is for me like it's it's a lot easier to s propose that beauty this idea of beauty fits it fits better in a world like with god because in like the secular worldview um that's more like naturalism where like god doesn't exist and you know everything in the world is just a product of just completely random uh mindless you know evolutionary processes and according to that you know evolution runs on the track of survivability um so then the big question becomes like, well, if everything's driven by this mechanism of evolution that's just trying to increase survivability, then how could it possibly produce um, artistic beauty when aesthetics don't seem to contribute to survivability? So basically, like, why is there, why is there so much beauty in, like, uh, creatures, living beings that can appreciate uh, beauty when it doesn't contribute to human survival? Thank you, David, for your perspective. You're right on the leap of faith. I think, as we were just talking about Kierkegaard, he actually had this very tortured assumption about believing in God, purpose of life. One of his books, Fear and Trembling, he brings up the situation of Abraham and Isaac, where he talks about how painful it must have been for Abraham and the level of commitment that Abraham had to have to be able to willingly go and sacrifice his son on God's word. And he basically says that, it, you know, there's no way that Abraham could have known that God would have prevented him uh, from killing his son at the last moment and saving his son. He couldn't have had any doubts in his head. He could only go with the assumption that God knew what was best for him and for the world and what he was doing was right. And it's almost a lucidity and madness type situation where Kierkegaard says the world is so absurd, there's so much pain in the world, akin to this Abraham and Isaac situation that we can only rely on a leap of faith in God. And this level of absurdity is indicative of a uh, presence of a higher power like God. And when you say things are beautiful, I agree, the world is very beautiful. And you can see authors like Camus, who were principally Mediterranean. He was from Algeria. They had this affinity for the physical world. You can see that in his book, uh, The Stranger. And I guess it's really up to us to decide, is it because, is this beauty because of a outside force, like a higher power, or is this beauty? I mean, we we are we are animals, correct? We are we we are animals. We are we are sentient. We are capable of great intelligence. Is this something that we've come to develop later, just within ourselves? Um, with that being said, John, I know in your daily life you do take a pretty committed approach to your faith, and you do work a lot with students around uh in, in your area around the west coast it you, you do have a full-time job but you have almost a second full-time job right and that is to your faith and it's to my understanding or this is how i see it just because you are religious and you have this sort of predetermined goal as in get, getting to heaven following god's word and so forth it doesn't make living that much easier right because at the end of the day we still face the same absurdities of life we still face we still face and we still see death all around us things happen for seemingly no reason so i i just want to understand your perspective how do you really still commit yourself to this faith and to the degree that you have been yeah i'm really glad you brought that up and i think that is a very sobering look at at, at life and if even if you have 
even if you can presuppose that you have meaning imbued onto you as a human, yeah, it's not so much that we're all so philosophical that you can think about that 24 seven, at least most people can. But the interesting thing is, um, I don't think that's how humans are. Um, I'm thinking of a man uh, by the name of Paul from the New Testament in the Bible, historical figure. Um, he's credited with spreading Christianity to vast, um, large swaths of the Roman Empire at the time, uh, while Christianity was still persecuted. And if you study his letters that he wrote to the different churches that he started and you study uh, his life, he was heavily persecuted. Uh, there's actually one story or one account where he goes into a city, he tells people about, you know, the gospel, the word of God or of Jesus Christ. And, and then they stone him. They think he's dead. And then he's not dead. So he gets up and walks back into that same city that stoned him um, to meet up with the church that was there. And the question you have to ask is like, oh my gosh, like how can a single person uh, possibly get through that? Say, I ask themselves like, what is my life? <laughs> and then continue, um, you know, with his purpose. And, and Paul talks about that a lot where he has to constantly, I, I imagine him, having a lot of almost like sleepless nights or, or just constantly making sure like, am I, do, is what I'm doing, is the purpose I've been sent here for, like, is it valid? Is it actually true? And he kind of addresses that in, in one of the, the epistles and one of his letters where he says, if, if Jesus Christ, if our Lord uh, Jesus did not rise from the dead or didn't come back to life, then we are like the greatest fools or like our faith is basically forfeit. And I think we talked about a little bit about this, Chris, but I think for a normal person to be able to go through the, the normal portions of life, to go through the ups and downs, ask themselves, what is life when things are difficult? They have to have something that they can anchor themselves on. And for Christians, that is the resurrection of, of Christ. That is that weird, crazy, absurd um, claim that Jesus made that he was God incarnate and he was also human and that he died and came back to life giving him the credit to say what he did um i think for me personally right it's not i'm not so amazing you know to say that yeah 24 7 of my life i'm thinking about this god-given purpose of, of spreading the word but that is the goal that i am working towards and, and I, i'll i think a not a correction but a, a little thing that i would caveat with the original comment is that you know, it is possible for people to have their lives completely consumed by X, Y, and Z. And in my case, I think a lot about, you know, Christians or, or different missionaries from the past where, yeah, it seems you look at their life and like Mother Teresa, for example, you look at their life and all you see is this obsessive drive to do what they think they've been called to do. So I think it's possible. Uh, are most people there? Most likely not. But for those who have, quote, quote, made it or who are further along in the path, for Christians, they're going to be pointing to, to Jesus Christ. That is like the, the stable rock and anchor, right? That belief that he died and, and came back to life. If that's not true, then, you know, <laughs> we're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> so that's a, a long-winded way to, to kind of answer that. Yeah, that was wonderful. I really, uh, I, I, I look at everything you say with uh, great um, admiration because you're you're really into this you're pulling all these ideas together and comparing and contrasting you know you are living out the experience that these men were talking about you know a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago and and so to me that's beautiful and beauty doesn't have to be a colorful sunset it could be a mind searching for meaning through all of the other people who have been searching through meaning and uh, and I, so I want to make it clear too you know far more about uh, the historical context of these philosophical views than I do. So there's no need for correction from me. <laughs> and uh, the reason for that is because at the end of this phone call, we are all going to go get something to eat, maybe go to the bathroom, maybe do whatever it is in our minds that, um, that, we've, that are uh, part of that uh, procreational impulse. You're all young men in your twenties, you know, the procreational impulse is strong within you at this point. And so like, you know, talking about doing, uh, being completely engulfed by God or being engulfed by these ideas and thoughts all the time is also not compatible because eventually you have to go, go eat. And so in, in uh, a Muslim would sit down in front of their meal and they would just say, Bismillah, 
which is we begin remembering that this is God, you know, and then they, they leave and they clean their dishes. Bismillah, they're cleaning their dishes and saying, this is God. And so, you know, I feel this like that angst as, uh, as an existential crisis, that, that twinge inside of you when I'm brushing my teeth, you know, did I do this on my left side long enough? Is the, is reality going to collapse into a hyperdimensional hole if I don't clean my teeth properly enough? And so some people are, are blessed or cursed by that idea. And, uh, and it's beautiful to see and to have these ideas. And so everything that you just said, I, I admire so much and I'm thankful for listening to that. And it really reflects on the experience of, um, of uh, uh, surrender. And so <clears throat> as a major component in, in how I practice, this idea of surrender has to do with, uh, we said leap of faith before, but that almost has too much, too much weight to it already because we're using the word faith and leap of faith kind of seems cliche, but just making a choice. And neurologically, when you make a choice, it changes the way that your brain operates and changes the way that the neuroplasticity will guide future decisions. And so uh, you're in the hallway of mirrors in your mind, all of us right now, which is beautiful. And also uh, in the hallway of uh, mirrors in our hearts, which is uh, trying to take these concepts of thought and, 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 uh, and then create action from them through morality, through ethics, through discussion but also through child rearing and, uh, and passing these things on to, I, uh, passing these on to a next generation of, of uh, men and women who are going to take these ideas and, and create action based on the world that they live in and so on and so forth. Hopefully always holding this idea of humanity in, in, our, in our hearts, in our conversations, the idea of humanity must live because eventually we're all going to be joined with robots. <laughs> and we, it's just kidding. That was a total joke. But um, eventually it, it, there, there is a, 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 an advancement of human beings that I feel like all of these philosophers were honing in on and, um, and feeling things that weren't necessarily appropriate for their time. And, uh, and now looking at them in the context of a world where we're buried in screens, buried in Zoom meetings, separated from human touch by social distancing, these things are becoming so relevant right now, even though they're hundreds of years old, the relevancy is just teeming through um, the information that we're sharing here. So wonderful admiration and honor. Thank you. I appreciate all of it. You know, to your point, it's one of the things, the unity of man is, is what I think everybody strives to, to sort of think about what unifies humans, what unifies man, and then hopefully there is something. But, you know, before we move on to the next topic, and then I, I want to say something, but David, please uh, want to get your input. I do not mean to keep cutting you off. I guess before I kind of like, I, I wanted to touch upon something that one of you mentioned, like this idea of accepting that, okay, like life even though life doesn't have meaning, we can still find a way to live in it and find happiness in it. Like as long as you kind of like with Sisyphus as being this ideal, like absurd hero, like as long as you accept there's nothing more to life than an absurd struggle, then you can find happiness in it. Um, I guess I'm wondering like what you guys like think, okay, like, so does that mean you're kind of creating your own meaning to life? You're, you're creating your own like sense of, I don't know what's what's good to do, what you should do, or what's bad to do, and what's going to make you happy. Yeah, David, absolutely. So you're you're right with the imagery of the myth of Sisyphus, and if you read his diaries, he's actually you know he refers to Prometheus a lot as well, the man who stole fire from the gods and was punished with uh, eternal torture. Right. He, he he of course ends one of his books saying one must imagine Sisyphus happy, and of course upon reflection upon reading that one might say why would he ever be happy he's doomed to roll this rock up this hill for eternity watch it roll down so you can just roll it back up again and the reason he emphasizes must one must imagine this is happy it's because of that parallel that's drawn between his eternal endeavor and human lives or as how Camus saw human life as an eternity of a struggle. As you mentioned it, once you accept 
the idea that the universe is profoundly indifferent and the universe has no meaning, you're able to accept your own present life better. And it's almost, it's, it's almost as if the idea that, say you are presented with the logical fact that the world has no meaning in the event that it could be proved, any person who can sit down and rationally think about it would say, oh, then what's the point of me living? And the absurdist struggle is essentially recognizing that fact and at the same time saying, well, my conclusion, my surety is that I'll continue to live because in the face of everything that you know, would make me unfree, I cho choose to be free. And by extension, when you talk about then what is meaning, what is good, and what is bad, I think this is where many people struggle, many philosophers mentally struggle, and they're mentally anguished about this. How do you reconcile the fact that there is no meaning, there is no structure, and at the same time, how do you, what do you value? And for me in particular, I sit here and I talk about this indifference, this this philosophical uh, embrace of the indifference. But at the same time, I, I was going to say you never want to be a hypocrite, but everyone's a hypocrite to some extent, right? That's 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 being human. But to me, the hardest part is sitting down and saying, "Here I'm preaching a foundation of no religion and a foundation of indifference. Why should I care about men or women, humans dying or killing each other or suffering abroad?" Because at the end of the day, this is the broad spectrum of life. This is the broad spectrum of nature and the wild and, and how things are. Not necessarily how they ought to be because there's no ought in, in, in this sort of society. And, and so I think one philosopher, Nietzsche, has, has come up with this formula that I, I really admire because admittedly I do not have the intellectual capability to sit here and tell you what is the true meaning of meaning and value and good and bad. But he essentially said that everything is incredibly nuanced, more nuanced than we tend to label things. And that, and that sounds very obvious, but if you look at how we categorize morality and just simply using the words good or evil, I think you tend to see that we actually do tend to speak in more absolutes than we would logically or emotionally feel exist in, in such a complex and intricate universe but essentially his idea was that our conception of good and bad is spans from centuries and millennia of christian foundations and so we're at this point where the ideas of thou shalt not kill and thou shalt steal or love thy fellow man are ingrained in us despite the fact that there is no um foundational support for them being there that being said he believed in a man that would create his own values outside of these influences so what he did that was good or that he felt was good was good and he's not saying that oh everyone should just go out there and do what they feel good because everyone currently is influenced by these things and there's no way to tell who is that man or woman and who isn't but essentially his ideal place was one where everyone was sort of transcended. Everyone has transcended this idea that there is good and there is evil and this is good or this is bad. And one was a creator. And, and, and to be a creator is to, you know, that is the definition of living your life, to be a creator. And I think this is so easily misinterpreted because on a superficial level, it sounds like, oh, do what you want and you know, to hell with everybody and how they feel. And obviously that's missing a lot of nuances, but altogether in a world where you don't share the existential optimism that you can create your own values, the struggle is the struggle is asking yourself where they come from. And essentially one might sit there and say, oh, well, why would you want to come to this conclusion? I don't think it's a necessity of wanting or or even hoping that one were to be true over the other. It's a matter of facing a grim but also very sobering type of reality. It's it, I wouldn't even say it's as grim as it is re redeeming in a way. But I think at the end of the day, 
I don't even know where to begin with my own set of values to understand that the values that we currently have may not have been self-created is one thing, but to go out and try to create our own values, it's impossible because everything in our lives for centuries and centuries has been influenced by one thing or another. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, I don't even know where to begin with my own set of values to understand that the values that we currently have may not have been self-created is one thing but to go out and try to create our own values it's impossible because everything in our lives for centuries and centuries has been influenced by one thing or another actually the your last uh your your last phrases there were by far the most important to me when you say i don't know where to begin with my own set of values i don't know what to believe unless it's been written in a book and so the the inherent nature of this conversation, as well as the inherent nature of the human condition, uh, is being reflected right now. And, and so if it creates a, a value system in you, that's fantastic. If you just copy other people's value system, that's great for you. If you continue to just criticize or not even criticize, if you continue to just um, take into consideration all of the criticisms, because all of the men that we've mentioned so far are known as uh, of, as cultural critics. And so, you know, criticism in itself is putting yourself uh, uh, in, adverse or in, uh, in an adverse position uh, from anything. And uh, David was very, uh, is, is, was mentioning the anarchists who was, was saying that they were uncomfortable with murder. John, you communicated some amazing things like how we are, we could, the words that you kept saying were, who's to say and so in those words john when you're saying who's to say when you're reflecting all these different points that's like you're you're hitting the button of this conversation it's just like ding 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 it's like it's like you're you're cashing in the coins that is the relevance because because who's to say is you all of you all of us are to say and um and that's that's a beautiful thing um and it also can exist within some people in, in an extreme way, like in murder and suicide. And we can sit and debate the philosophical value of murder and suicide and how it relates to being alive. But I don't think any of you have any plans to knock someone off tonight. So eventually we have to come back to the reality of we have to get something to eat later and probably go to the bathroom and maybe make love to our partner. And then if that creates a life form that we don't have time to think about any of this anymore, because there's this little baby who's now eating and, and going to the bathroom all the time. And it becomes almost a hysterical comedy of, um, of, of just trying to pour a glass of water for someone, but yet still exist in this existential uh, conundrum of what the fuck is water? I mean, it's just all around us in, in, the, in the fabric of reality to question and to um, reflect and to tear it apart, to not trust it, and then to find something that goes, oh, that feels good. Or maybe murder, that doesn't feel good. That's a good example. But maybe something feels good. And so thinking and feeling inherently different um, functions of our neurology and of our endocrine system and uh it's so it's it's wonderful to hear this at the at the very end going into what are so as a practitioner and working with people one-on-one -on, -one on a daily basis the conversation is always about um what what someone's eyes and what their body language are saying in their position with themselves and uh and are they in a place where they can move forward making choices that are going to um, either equate in, in more life and more beauty, or they're going to equate in, in uh, destruction and, and, some, and disharmony? And both of those things are relative and true for everyone. You can't go through life and everything be beautiful and yay. Uh, some, not sometimes, but yeah, there are times people die struggles uh, will be had you know we're all pushing the rock up in some way but at the same time sisyphus he was also uh being punished that was the whole point of him pushing the rock up is because he was trying to cheat death 
And in the end, he cheats death because he's been given this sentence where he has to roll the rock up. Is that why he's kind of smiling the whole time? Like, hey, hey, I beat the system because now I get to push this rock up the hill. You guys forgot. I love pushing rocks up the hill. And so um, he kind of gets away with it in the end and teaches us that how absurd it is um, that uh, that the existence and the questions themselves keep coming up. But yet the answers possibly are right in front of us the entire time. What is the point in the meaning of life? When there's a little baby crying on, on in the bedroom next to you, that it's pretty easy what your point and what, what the point of life is and what your meaning in life at that time is. Or like when you're sitting in front of like a stack of um, historical geniuses who are who have who have gone down this same exact path and and we're feeling those that path that tension as you put. I love tension because I love relieving tension. It's what I do. And so uh, the relief of tension is kind of like that, that satisfying feeling. It's just, it, it almost just has an expression of, ah, like you just drank some water or you just had an orgasm or you just heard an amazing guitar solo or whatever it is that you resonate with. These things become alive and they, they enrich life when you're not looking at a book. And, uh, and then, then you come back to the books and you're like, that's what they're talking about or maybe that's what they're missing or maybe i wish he knew about this or maybe that makes sense now whatever it is the spectrum is endless and that uh that endless infinite potential uh that exists in the realm and this is like would would veer off of a of a philosophical debate and more into a um uh, I don't want to say quantum because it's too it's just it's too much of a, a, a cliche these days. But in a mathematical sense of possibility, um, we're looking at it right now, guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I want I want to transition to our last topic really quickly. But, you know, if you look, um, I think, you know, Dr. Vinda, what you've been saying, if you look at uh, our presentation and then, you know, for, for, for our viewers out there later, uh, one of the quotes is a single sentence will suffice for modern man. He fornicated and read the papers. Right. And then, you know, to your point, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, it's absurd to think about something like that, but, that, but at the end of the day, we do have the mechanical aspects of our lives uh, to, to, to look after as well. So, you know, I, I, wonderfully put. And then, so, you know, for our last topic, very quickly before we close, I just want to talk about judgment, right? And I think what's universal behind religion and, you know, existentialism, absurdism is the form of universal guilt for humans. And, and then it's for different reasons, right? And then from the non-religious perspective, all humans are guilty because, you know, look, about, look at the things that we all have the capability of doing to each other. And then no inherent afterlife as a punishment, we are all consequently guilty for it. And then each one of us, to read another quote, each of us insists on being innocent at all costs, even if he has to accuse the whole human race in heaven itself. And then, and then another point to existentialism and absurdism and, you know, a lot of philosophies is that happiness is not, is, well, strictly not predicated on other people's concerns, right? However, that, that's the only way that you're forgiven, right? If you share that success and happiness and to read the last part of the third quote, consequently, there is no escape happy and judged or absolved and wretched. And I would, and I'm very curious from a religious standpoint, because if I understand correctly, judgment plays a huge role. And I'm wondering how you live and how, how you get through the day, knowing that there is a higher power judging you very detailed from everything, from your thoughts, from your actions. And, and I'm <laughs> curious, you know, how, how, how you live with that and how that works. And please correct me if I've said anything wrong. Yeah, that's, that's a really, I, I guess I'll go first. Huh? Um, that is a super deep, interesting question that I think if you think about for a little too long it's it's as you said it's disturbing and it's it's troubling um from a, a Christian point of view right uh we believe that yeah life is not permanent like death is certain we also believe that judgment is coming and that's because we believe in a personal moral God a holy God that sets the standard of morality and so the question is like, how do you live with that knowing that you're judged? And the answer is if you don't, well, normally the human condition, we believe um, the term is, is sinners, right? You're sinful or you're broken in some way in a moral and other aspect. And if you don't have a, a relationship with God, right? If humanity was just left in the picture without being able to, without God reaching down to them, then you wouldn't be able to live with that. It would just be a... Um, a very tragic, sad picture. And that's why I, I tend to say uh, Christianity is actually one of the most 
uh, pessimistic religions when it comes to its view of human nature and the plight of humanity, humanity, but also the most optimistic in the end of the story. And, and I keep on going back to this, but that's really the crux of, of a Christian faith, and that's that's Jesus Christ. And so not to, to preach from a pulpit, but just a little, I guess, like overview on, on what the thought is around that or Christian belief is that, yeah, without God, like man is just broke, utterly broken and, and sinful. And that's our default state. Not to say that there, there isn't any chance or possibility of good things or beautiful things happening. Um, however, uh, the story goes is that, you know, God loved man so much that he wanted to reconcile with them. And, and the, in the beginning of the story is that God made man to have a relationship with him. Man in his free will rejects that, right? In the Garden of Eden, they eat of the fruit. Um or they eat the fruit that God tells them not to. They reject that relationship in God's rightful place in their lives. And that is what we now call like sin, right? And that that kind of like really wretched, really wretched state if you are judged. Um, but then the answer is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment of that judgment for us. Uh, him being the judge himself, but also the one to take the punishment we are suddenly absolved. And, and as a Christian, that's how I'd answer it. That's how I can live because I know that I've been forgiven, that I know, I know that I'm, I'm beloved no matter if I'm an extremely moral person or an extremely immoral person. And that's something that kind of defies logic, right? Because logically speaking, you know, if you were doing like game theory, you would say, oh man, this guy keeps on doing all these evil things. Like, let me not deal with him. But, but that's not the picture of God we see in the Bible. And not, that's not really the picture of God that I've experienced in, in my life. And so, yeah, is it a dark picture? It is. And I think, I guess, personally speaking, that is why like, I find it as one of the, the missions in my life to, to tell people or to let them know, like, hey, there is a God out there that cares so much about you, that wants to have a personal relationship with you. And whether you know it or not right now, like your relationship with him is broken and, and the state of the proper state of your being is, is not where it should be. Um, no, yeah. yeah. John, John, that's a very laudable burden that you bear. And, you know, it's something that I, I struggle with constantly. So, so very admirable. And then, you know, uh, David and, and uh, Dr. Bender, please want to hear your thoughts. Okay. Dr. Bender, please finish us off before we uh, close on this. All right. So uh, the, th the two things that I hear uh, from the beginning were, were the two concepts of uh, guilt and judgment. And then uh, David and John bringing the Christian perspective of judgment into focus, uh, which uh, both of them uh, from my from a Catholic upbringing were, were accurate, even in terms of Catholicism. And um, <clears throat> from a psychological perspective, I know guilt uh, has a very important function as far as uh, if, if we're not born moral and we learn them, we learn morality through empathy, then guilt is a function of that. Oh, like I just fucked up and uh, now I'm going to make sure I don't do that again. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's an important concept that helps us see that we are broken in a way, or at least not perfect. And so a lot of these ideas of, that are religious um, that come handed down through tablets and scriptures um, judging for one of them uh, are still human concepts and, and my own personal concept, or they're not still human concepts, but um, from a biblical, from a biblical perspective, uh, that is the word of God. And then uh, from uh, the Quran perspective, it's the word of the prophet who was, who had a relationship with God. And so, we're required in a religious perspective, a religious perspective is required to, uh, to assume the divinity in these concepts. And uh, judgment, for example, uh, or judgment in my own experience seems uh, to be, is, it comes up short because uh, it, to me, it feels like God is a, is a consciousness that I can't, I can't create it in my own mind except for something that's abstract um, and something that uh, is forever mysterious. I, I will never, um, I will never be omnipotent in this life form that I'm in right now. This, this uh, meat bag that I'm walking around in that has a brain that has an identity, this ego, I'll never be able to consciously come to the same level as God. And so to me, it seems like uh, judgment is something that occurs on a human level, and I don't, I don't, I don't personally think that if I were ever to face a 
if God manifested itself as whatever in front of me, I don't think God is, has a scorecard in its hand um, because that's part of an unconditional love that I experience God as in my relationship with God. My relationship with God is based on unconditional, um, unconditional love. And so there's no judgment there. Um, I can still uh, uh, harbor guilt for things I've done in my human life form to um, to the people around me, but it, it doesn't seem to me that if there is a God, that God would get offended by things that I'm doing because it's so far beyond the human, the human condition. And, uh, and so the idea of, of broken, uh, to me, translates into uh, the idea of evolving. And so in Sufism, in Sufism terms, they, they speak often of, of how far you have evolved in your lifetime and in perhaps over many lifetimes. And, uh, and so a shaman once said to me uh, during a, an, an experience known as the God realization, that uh, God realization in, uh, according to Paramahansa Yogananda, it's, uh, who, who brought a, a, a spirituality from India here to the States in the 60s and 70s, um, he would talk about the, the um, the, the, uh, this, uh, this experience where you realize that everything is God, uh, that's the God realization, uh, and then the self-realization, which is where you realize that you are a part of that. You are not God, as the shaman told me, you can't even pronounce the name of God, it's impossible, and you can't look at it either, and there's many Sufi, Sufi stories about people who have witnessed God and, and then spend the rest of their life in some kind of derelict phase with this like stare in their eye and they and they they can never look away they can never unsee it so to speak because it's so um immense and so different from a human experience and so uh i guess that's really the answer is a little bit of a contrast there into in, from the from my perspective a con it's a little bit of a, a contrast to the christian belief but i don't i but i still believe that the christian um, the Christian religion is so beautiful when it's practiced appropriately, like every other religion when it's practiced appropriately. And there's always going to be extremes on both sides, whereas like you could barely believe in it and not and not practice, but claim it. Or you could you could practice it into an extent where, you know, people often will drag their religion into their murderous intentions, um, which is deeply philosophically troubling when you're now killing other people in the name of God. <clears throat> and so we're all mixed together. We're all, we're mixing these concepts of thoughts and feelings uh, into this, uh, into this meat bag of experiences <laughs> here that, and we have our names and we have our jobs and it's, it's, we all have this perspective of being individual of each other, but <clears throat> so do the cells on your body, in your body, there's trillions of cells. They all have different names and different jobs. They have no concept of that they make you as a whole same thing for how trees work in the forest with mushrooms with underground um with underground mycelium complexes you know it's present throughout light uh, throughout nature and in, in the way that schools of fish move and um in in the ways uh that even native americans were in tune with the way that uh with the seasons and with how they were how they were hunting how they were living um, and so it's, it's constantly coming through. And I guess to sum it up, I, I, I think that I would just say that I feel the gratitude from this conversation inside of me and knowing mm -hmm. that, um, I, it, that we have achieved a level of evolution that's very special to be able to have this conversation and to even debate this, that these ideas has endless value. And, um, and we're really lucky to be able to do this because for some people, it, it, it doesn't matter to them. They never have to think about it. They're cool with just the regular flow of culture and the world that they are born in. They don't ever question it. And it's, and that whole ignorance is bliss kind of thing. And we're burdened with this barrel of concepts and ideas and questions. And uh, here we are, we're, we're opening the tap to that, to that barrel. And we're passing around the drinks and we're in Sufi terms, we're getting drunk off of these concepts right now, because there's a reason why a lot of um, very intelligent people end up in some kind of state of delirium is because uh, <laughs> we might not be able to rationalize our way out of this one, guys.
Thank you, Dr. Binder. And with that, we're concluding the podcast. And if there's anything you guys would like to promote or talk about that's happening in your lives, please go ahead and uh, share it with anyone who's listening. Um, I don't want to promote anything. I just was hanging out with you guys, having a good time. And uh, But if you type the word chiropractic into Instagram, um, I will come up, chiropractic underscore medicine. I'm going to leave my uh, my info available if anyone wants to shout out to me. You can look at, I do all kinds of stuff. But this is, it, it, this is outside of my professional life. However, it's, I, again, deeply valuable to me. And I think to people in general, there's, there's just endless value in these conversations. So I think, and even though this isn't what I normally do, um, if anyone uh, wants to get their back cracked, then you should call me. Good thing we, we signed on to this, this, you know, sitting inside all day with the pandemic. We, yeah, we actually, we all three of us have, back, yeah, all three yeah, of we'll, us have we'll spinal issues. That, that's the only reason we set this up this way. No. <laughs> we should have okay. did it at my office then, dude. It would have been great. <laughs> okay. okay yeah yeah and then and, you know before david and john speak uh, i will so what happens will i will be i will have this recorded podcast and i'll you know trim some of it and then i'll also keep the raw form and obviously send it to you three so, so you don't need to worry about that but uh david why don't you go next since you are uh, next on the participants list yeah uh i'm not like an influencer by any means and i'm definitely not as popular as uh <laughs> brent here but i i do have a youtube channel that i post videos to sometimes and um some of the content there is somewhat related to you know um uh, i guess my faith as a christian i have i've posted like some christian dance videos on there that uh are have gotten pretty popular but uh, my youtube channel is david's world with a z and no space just search david's world um but that's going to be my my main platform there jonathan why don't you <laughs> john why don't you finish us <laughs> off here yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to, uh, to promote. Um, yeah, it was kind of funny. Chris put my Instagram, but I haven't used that in, in years. So <laughs> I guess it still exists. But I, I would just say, and I think everyone on this podcast would probably agree with me, is that if I were to promote anything, it's just for people to seek out and, and chase truth, whatever that truth is, with a capital T, because I think it is worth your while. I think it is self-respecting thing to do you know if we all know that our lives are finite and that uh will expire some someday hopefully not too soon uh then it's worth it to have conversations like this explore okay like why am i here what is the meaning of life etc cetera, etc cetera. um that's been immensely valuable to me and it's clear that it's been really valuable to everyone on this podcast i guess that's why we're here uh, besides the backpacking, but yeah, that's that's what I would promote, and just wanted to say thank you for having us. This has been really cool. Yeah, yeah, and like uh, like Dr. Binder said, we'll probably need to get something to eat and go to the bathroom, right? You know, c come back down to reality. But w once again, I want to reiterate. Um, very thankful that all of you got, I know we probably ran way over the time limit. So, so sorry if you guys had anything to do, but, but thank you for having this conversation. And, and if this is something that, you know, I do again in the future, you know, you, you guys are all, you know, cordially invited back. If that's something you do, uh, you want to do other than that, you know, have a good night and thank you so much guys. Thank you. Yeah. Guys. Thanks everybody. Yeah, thank yeah, you so much. Chris. Peace. peace and love. Thank you. Yeah. Take bye. Care. bye. Bye.